Good morning, everyone. Morning. It's, a, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you once again today. Uh, I just want to jump straight into the scriptures today that we're going to talk about. Uh, and we're looking in the Psalms today. It's going to be Psalm chapter 40. Uh, this is one of the Psalms of David. There's, a, there's many Psalms that he wrote, but this is one of them. Uh, and 17 verses in all, but we're just going to look at the first three today. Personally speaking, this is one of my favourite psalms, and I hope by the end of this message it's one of your favourites as well. So that's Psalm 40, and we're just going to look at verse 1 to 3, and I'll be reading from the, uh, from the ESV. So beginning in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. In just this tiny section of scripture, we have a story And if you're a Christian, then this story will sound familiar because it's your story. And my title for this message this morning, I'm afraid it's not very creative because the ESV gives this a title, which is perfect for what we're talking about today. And it's called My Help and My Deliverer. So verse one, let's start at the beginning. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Now, it goes almost without saying that God can hear us because he can see, he can hear everything that goes on in this world, whether or not we want to keep it a secret. And Psalm 94, 9 puts it this way. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? These are rhetorical questions, obviously. Since God is the creator of the ear, nothing is hidden from his hearing. But I want to draw attention to this part of the verse that he inclined to me. Other translations say he turned to me. Uh, But the point is the same, that God doesn't just passively listen. He doesn't just hear what we say because he is God. He moves towards us because he wants to hear us. The New American Standard Bible puts the verse this way. I waited patiently for the Lord and he reached down to me and heard my cry. You see, our our God is not distant. He didn't create the world to then turn his back and leave us on our own. He cares for you so much that he would reach down from the heights of heaven to hear your cry. He doesn't just hear us the same way you hear a noise outside and you go, well, what was that noise? You know, he wants to hear us. It doesn't catch him off guard. Now, the fact that God cares for us this much should amaze us. It should leave us awestruck. That the same almighty God who formed the earth, placed every star in the sky, would care about our lives so deeply. King David wrote the psalm we're looking at today in Psalm 40. But there's another psalm that he wrote that expresses this same sort of sense of wonder and amazement. And it's Psalm 8. In verse 3 of Psalm 8, David says this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
See, David looked up at the beauty of the night sky. He looked out into space. He marveled at the wonder of creation. And he said, Lord, you made all of this. You made every living thing on earth. You hold it all together. You're so far above the earth in your glory and your splendor and your holiness. And yet you care about me. You know, when when we hear certain truths over and over again, certain aspects of God's character, it's easy for us to begin to take them for granted. When we hear of God's love for us so often, it's easy that it, it becomes almost part of the furniture, so to speak. Of course, God loves us. You know, it's a given. Of course, he hears our prayer. That's what God does. But we should be like David. We should look at the world around us. We should look at who God is. Look at our own lives and our hearts. And we should stand in awe that holy, righteous, almighty God cares about us enough to reach down and to hear us. You know, during the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught his followers how to pray, how to speak to God. And we're all familiar with that famous prayer. But what Jesus said before the Lord's Prayer is something that brings me a great deal of comfort. He said this in Matthew 6, 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, isn't that wonderful? Because none of our prayers will ever be lost in translation. None of your prayers will fail because they weren't eloquent enough, because they didn't last long enough. When you pray, God knows your needs before the words have left your mouth. Even before the thought enters your mind and you begin to construct a sentence, he knows. So let's take comfort this morning that it doesn't matter how clumsy or how awkward your prayers might sound to human ears. Because what really matters is who is listening. Our Heavenly Father inclines to us. He hears the cry of our hearts. Even when the words get jumbled somewhere between our hearts and our mouths, it doesn't matter. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he once wrote this, that in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Now, maybe you're going through such a difficult time that even when you come before the Lord in prayer, you can't find the words. Nothing comes out. You can't find a single word to speak. But be assured this morning that even when your lips aren't moving, your heavenly father can hear you. You know, when we do pray, however many, however few words that we bring, we must remember who we are praying to. What are the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. When we know who we're speaking to, we change the way that we speak. You don't speak to your child the same way you speak to your spouse. You don't speak to your close friends the same way you speak to your employer. The nature of the relationship changes the way you speak. It changes how comfortable you might be. It changes what you expect of that person, the kind of things you will ask them. Now, with that in mind, Here are three things I think are so important to remember when we pray. And I'll just go through these very quickly. The first is this, that God delights in your prayers. He delights in them. He wants to hear them. Proverbs 15 verse 8. 
in the King James Version says this, that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. He doesn't just tolerate your prayers. He delights in them. He wants to hear them. Number two, God wants the best for you. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's John chapter 10, verse 10. He wants the best for you, not according to the standards of the world, not the best as in prosperity and mountains of worldly pleasures, but God wants the best for you by his standards. And then number three, God has the power to answer. Paul writes this in Ephesians 3, verse 20, that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. You see, God can do what you think he can do, and he can do more than that, more than we can ever comprehend. So when you put those three things together, that God delights in your prayers, that God only has your best interests in mind, and that he has the power to answer your prayers in ways that you cannot imagine, when we truly believe those three things, how can we not pray? How can we afford to miss that precious time of prayer when this is our Heavenly Father? If you believe those three things, prayer will be a priority for you. You'll make that time to cry out to your Heavenly Father because, frankly, it would be crazy not to. He hears us in the same way that a loving father kneels down, reaches down to listen to the voice of his precious child. Now, verse two, back in Psalm 40, verse two goes on to say this, that he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So here David has waited patiently for the Lord. The Lord has turned to him. He's heard his cry. And now here the Lord answers. He's heard David's cry. He's delivered him out of trouble and into stability, into security. David has been delivered out of the pit of destruction, the jaws of death. This is a testimony. This is a testimony of God's faithfulness and his power to save in any situation from physical peril, but more importantly, spiritual peril. But you see, David's life was fraught with conflict. It was fraught with instability. His life seemed to be constantly in danger when, when you read the account of his life in the Old Testament. Whether it was Saul trying to pin him to the wall with a spear, whether it was the nations that surrounded Israel, whether it was even his own family, his own son, Absalom, rebelling against him. When you read through these accounts, you wonder, how, how can David say this? How could a man whose life seems so unstable say these words, that he set my feet upon a rock, that he made my steps secure? The answer, I believe, is found in the words of Jesus. In Matthew seven twenty four. this is what our Lord said. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. You know, David's life was full of rain. He was no stranger to affliction, no stranger to grief. 
He faced his fair share of floods, the enemies, battles all over the place. And the winds of temptation, we know they got the best of him at one point in his life, as we know from his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. But despite all of that, despite the storm and the winds that seemed to beat against the wall of his house day and night, he could still proclaim, my feet are on the rock. My steps are secure. Why? In Psalm 18, another Psalm of David, Psalm 18, verse 2, he tells us this. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David trusted in the Lord. When he looked from his window, when he saw the enemies of Israel gathering all around, it didn't matter how many chariots they had. It didn't matter how many soldiers, how many horses, because David had something that they didn't. David trusted in the Lord. His life was built on the foundation of the true and living God, the eternal king, the God of Abraham, <coughs> Isaac and Jacob, the God who can flatten a nation with the snap of his fingers. And because David knew this, because David believed in God and his power to save, he could say, my steps are secure. So when you look around at your life, when you see the storms approaching, when you're faced with loss and grief, conflict in the family, illness, whatever it is, remember that David's God is our God. And God does not change. He is the same yesterday today and forever. Now we can have absolute confidence that God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. But there is one thing we have to remember, that God will answer our prayers in his timing and in his ways. You know, when we're in the middle of a trial, the most natural thing to say is, Lord, please get me out now. Please remove me from the situation. And he has the power to do that. But so often we find ourselves, we're pleading with God to remove the difficulties and they don't seem to go away. Why? A question that formulates in your mind might sound something a bit like, if God loves me, why is he letting this happen to me? But when we understand God's purpose for our lives, we know the answer to that question. In Romans 8 verse 29, it says this, for those whom he foreknew, that is to say Christians, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, a central part of God's purpose for our lives is to make us more like Jesus. Second Corinthians 3.18 says something similar. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The Christian life is a life of transformation. If we think that God's purpose for our life is just to make us comfortable where we are, to shower us with blessings and prosperity, if that's all it is, then suffering makes no sense. None at all. But when we remember that God is sculpting us like an artist, moulding and softening the clay in his hands, or like a gardener who tends to his plants, pruning the leaves to make sure that plant grows up healthy and strong. When we remember that, 
we can see a purpose in the waiting and even a purpose in the pain. See, David waited patiently for the Lord and the Lord heard his cry and answered. If you're waiting patiently for an answer to prayer, remember this morning that God is listening and that he's working all things together for your good and for his glory. Now, the way that we ought to handle this waiting is the same way that David did, patiently. You see, when we know that God is our heavenly father and we trust in his wisdom, we trust in his goodness, we know that there's always a good reason for the way in which he answers prayer and when he answers prayer. You know, when we were children, our parents made us do all sorts of things that we didn't want to do, right? We didn't want to eat our vegetables. We didn't want to go to the dentist and have a metal stick poked in your mouth. Uh, You know, you didn't want to go to bed at bedtime. You wanted to stay up all night. We didn't want to do these things. And back then, we didn't understand why our parents made us do this. It was miserable to us. But now, looking back, we understand. We understand that the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts are actually really quite good for us. We understand that the discomfort of going to the dentist was only to prevent a much greater pain later on. And I think as adults, we all value a good night's sleep now. But at the time, we didn't understand. Now we look back and we see that our parents were just loving us because they knew more than we did. And they knew that those things were for our good. Now, apply that to your heavenly Father, almighty God, who knows you and declares the beginning from the end. He knows you and he calls you by name. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows precisely what would happen in any given circumstance. He knows what would happen if he answered your prayer today. He knows what would happen if he answered your prayer a year from now. And are you prepared to trust him? When he says no, are you prepared to trust him when he says not yet? Our minds are so limited and we are constrained by time. But the mind of God is limitless. He knows and declares the future. So for us to know all of this and to not trust him would be foolish beyond words. So in verse three of Psalm 40 now. Back in Psalm 40, we read this, that he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This is the result. After the patient waiting, the crying out to God, the deliverance of God and being established on the rock of ages, David rejoices with a song of praise. God has answered his prayer And now he's overflowing with praise and thanksgiving. You know, when we look back over our lives, when we look at all the ways that God has been so faithful to us and brought us through the storms of life, all we can do is praise him. He gives us a new song, a song that the world doesn't understand, to give him the praise that is due to him. But that's not where the verse ends, because God isn't finished yet. He gives us a new song, but something else will happen because we are singing this new song. Many will see and fear and put their trust 
in the Lord. As people around you see what the Lord has done for you, they will see your answered prayers. They will see the joy that God has given to you. And they themselves will see and fear and put their trust in God. Your testimony, your changed life will make people pay attention. You will be living proof of God's love. And that brings me to what this passage truly gives us a picture of. What we've talked about so far are some amazing truths in just these three short verses. The character of God, his faithfulness to answer prayer, his power to deliver and establish us and the thanksgiving at the end of it all. But all of this points to something even greater. When we see our sinful state before a holy God and we understand we've broken God's law, we cry out to him. In his grace and his mercy and his everlasting love, he inclines to us, he turns to us. We were in the pit of destruction, but this was a hole that we had dug for ourselves with our own two hands. We earned the wages of sin. We had earned God's judgment in hell. But through Christ's death and resurrection, he drew us up from the pit of destruction. Not only that, but he gives us a new life in him. A new life. He set our feet upon a rock. Through the promises in his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit, he makes our steps secure. And now we can live without the fear of death. We know that our lives are safe in his hands. He gives us a supernatural heart transplant. He takes out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh and indwells us with the Holy Spirit. He puts a new song in our mouth because we experience the new birth. We're a new creation in Christ. And as others see this transformation, as we faithfully proclaim the gospel, tell the world what Christ has done for us, many will see and fear. And put their trust in the Lord. When I read these first three verses, I see a beautiful picture of our salvation and the way that God changes our lives and other lives around us. And that's the part that I want to focus on here. That other lives will be affected by what God has done in our lives, namely through our testimonies. Now, back before I became a Christian, I heard a testimony that really grabbed my attention. My dad shared with me a testimony of someone that he knew, a man whose life had really hit rock bottom. But somehow, someway, Jesus had come into this man's life and transformed it so radically that he was now a pastor. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Now, as a sceptic and a non-believer... For me, someone who rejected the idea of God and especially the God of the Bible, this testimony made me sit up straight. I had to reluctantly admit something interesting had happened in this man's life. Now, I didn't run home to dust off my Bible that day, but hearing that testimony planted a seed in me. And it was one of the things that brought me back over the threshold of the church door. Now, every one of us has a testimony. We all have a story and some may be more dramatic than others, but we all have one. And sharing your testimony with people that you know and that you care about is more powerful than perhaps you realise. 
You see, people can argue back and forth all day long about the science. They can argue all day long about philosophy and moral issues. They can argue even about the interpretation of certain passages in the Bible. But what they can't argue with is your life, your experience. They can't say to you, that didn't happen, because it did. It's your story. And so when you speak with others about Christ, you don't need to go in with the answer to every theological question. You don't need to be some kind of expert in apologetics. You know, as helpful as that knowledge is, to witness to somebody that you care about in the easiest and the least confrontational way possible, all that you need is your story. Don't be shy. Don't hide your light under a basket. God has given you a new song to sing, so sing it boldly. We should be like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Right? She wasn't an academic. She hadn't studied the scriptures. She had only known Jesus for a short amount of time. And it may be that she didn't even understand properly who Jesus was. But this is what she did. John chapter 4, verses 28 and onwards. So she left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. For her, the same day that she met Jesus, she started publicly evangelizing. And the only thing she'd had was one conversation. Now, you and I here today, we've got a lot more than that. So if she can do it, we can do it. You know, when you when you talk about Christ, when you bring up the Bible to people, you're going to face objections. It's, it's normal. It's natural. It's going to happen. And there is a common objection that I've heard that goes a little bit something like this. It's usually phrased as a question in a sarcastic sort of way. You're telling me. That in this vastness of space, this mind-bogglingly enormous universe, that the God who created it all cares so much about one tiny little speck of dirt called Earth. He cares so much for the people who live there that he sent his son to die for them. And on top of that, the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, he knows your name, he watches over you, he loves you, you specifically. The answer, of course is yes. Absolutely yes. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, before God formed the land and the seas, before he put the stars in the sky, before any living, breathing thing walked on this earth, he knew your name. And when Jesus came into this world to lay down his life, as he carried that cross up Calvary's hill, with the weight of your sin on his shoulders, he knew that he was doing it for you. Now, finally, as I just bring this message to a close, when I read the first three verses of Psalm 40, I see my own story. I see my own life. I remember the times that I cried out to God and he answered my prayers, not just answering what I asked for, but giving me more than I could imagine. And I see my salvation, that my life was in the pit, but the Lord Jesus Christ drew me up. He changed my heart. He made me a new person and he gave me a song worth singing, the glorious song of the gospel. If today you don't know Christ as your saviour, if you've never made that commitment, 
This can be your story. We're in a room this morning full of changed lives, full of stories of God's faithfulness. But none of us did anything to earn it. None of us did anything to deserve it. All that we can do is come to him empty-handed and receive the free gift of God, forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks today for your faithfulness, for your goodness and for your love that you show us every single day of our lives. We thank you that you hear our cries even when we can't get the words out. We thank you for rescuing us and changing us. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus, our Saviour, who redeemed our lives from the pit. And we thank you, Lord, that now you use our lives for your kingdom and your glory. We praise you, Lord, today because we can say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.